We are five days away from fundamentally transforming the United States of America. You know, this Marxism-Leninism ideology is being pumped into the soft heads of, of, of at least three generations of American students. America first. You could put half of Trump supporters into what I call the basket of deplorables. Change the perception of reality of every American to such an extent that despite of the abundance of information, no one is able to come to sensible conclusions. For too long, a small group in our nation's capital has reaped the rewards of government while the people have borne the cost. The racist, sexist, homophobic, xenophobic. Hey guys, welcome to this episode of We the Deplorables. I am your host, Sherry Wilson, and uh, I want you to consider this podcast as a safe place for faith, family, and freedom. It's where we examine things that are going on in our nation and in the world and have some practical things that we can do uh, as, as Americans, as citizens of the kingdom, people that are patriotic Uh, because we know that God loves this country. He loves all nations. He views them actually as people with their unique gift sets and calls and purposes. He's deposited resources in every nation in the world that's, you know, meant to prosper them. But, you know, because of the fall and uh, greediness of man, the power-hungry people, uh, that doesn't always work out the way he's got planned. And so our role as the people of God is to, number one, know what's going on. Number two, Holy Spirit, what is my role? How can I impact what is going on? And uh, so today, I want to start off with, like, Canada. You know what I'm saying? I mean, what on earth is going over there with those truckers? It is exciting what is happening. It's also discouraging at the same time. You know, when I look at America being founded on liberty, which is basically the marriage of freedom with morality, meaning that liberty is controlled by good morals. Um, And we were founded as a Christian nation in spite of what some might tell you, even uh, other people that say they're Christians. If my liberty harms another, uh, I don't, you know, want to do what I'm free to do because liberty is always governed by uh, the morality and the fact that we don't want our liberty to infringe upon another and harm them. And so that was the crux of American thought from our founding fathers, believe it or not. And so here you have Canada that is British and French, uh, you know, but they have a uh, European-minded thought process, government process, etc., and they typically tend to be very docile. And so here we've got truckers in a country that was not founded on the American ideal of liberty, and they are forcing change against a tyrannical govern- government, and they're taking a stand better than Americans, unfortunately. And um, I do know that we've got some plans here for truckers to finally take a stand. And you know, the, the reality over in Canada is, if I'm not mistaken, 90% of the population 
already have a, a vaccine. And so the truckers are like, you know what, this is ridiculous. You're not, you're affecting our livelihood. We can't cross you know borders unless we have the vaccine. I mean, it's just ridiculous. And so they're taking this stand. And not only that, you know, it, here we are more complacent and docile than them. And so there's, you know, hope, but it's also discouraging at the same time. But here's what you need to know about the government and politicians. This is the way you deal with them, even good ones. Money and polls is all that matters to them. So that's why we're starting to see Democratic states lift mask mandates in spite of the federal government's wishes and the CDC's confusing message, you know, because they did polling. So the New Jersey governor just couldn't understand why he almost lost the 2021 election and why his numbers are so low in the polls. So they literally had to get a focus group to research this, guys. I mean, this is how disconnected these people are with real Americans. And so, you know, they they do the research. They find out it's a draconian COVID measures. And he was shocked. He couldn't believe that that is why his poll numbers were so low. I mean, that's how dumb these people are. And so they've decided, hey, we're going to lift mask mandates, et cetera. So if you put pressure on the economy or their poll numbers, if you can do both, that's even better. Stuff happens. And that's why our founding fathers put in our First Amendment that the right to peacefully assemble for a redress of grievances is an inherent natural Right, which means it's from God. It's not from a piece of paper. So it's been enshrined in our Constitution. So, you know, basically, along with the Omicron and the vaccine, people are just done. They're done with all of it, and they want to get back to normal. And we've got Canada leading the charge when it comes to that. And so you're going to begin to see more and more of this going on. But um, I don't want to get too much into that because I want to talk about an interesting scandal that's brewing that once again proves the scripture uh, that says that whatever is hidden will be exposed and whatever is whispered will be shouted from the rooftops, and that is BLM's shady financial practices. Now, here's the deal. I have had um, in my notes of the different topics I want to discuss on this podcast BLM's finances for a long time. Because anytime I see anti-God, anti-family, anti-American, anti-capitalism groups, you can pretty much guarantee there's corruption there. And typically because they're so hypocritical, they're lining their pockets. And so I've been wanting to check into, okay, how much did BLM bring in? You know, are their finances above board? And then I was watching uh, the news the other day, and uh, there it was, $60 million. Okay, what's being done with that? Who is in charge of that? Where is that? Uh, So we're going to dive into this. But if you need a refresher of BLM and their nefarious plot, um, I did a two-part series in episodes three and four that you can listen to. But let me break it down real quick. In those episodes, I revealed they're actually a Marxist organization that was founded as an LGBTQ organization to destroy the nuclear family. They want to fundamentally tear down this country and start over because our country is inherently racist, especially white people. They're born that way. So they want to start over and they're willing to use chaos and violence to force the people to comply with their socialist uh, agenda, And so that's why you have these DAs bought and paid for by George Soros that are actually 
um, reforming bail to where people can get out easier, reforming what murder should look like, et cetera, et cetera. That's a new uh, story that's coming out of Illinois that they actually want to lessen the standards for murder so that if you didn't intend to kill, you may not go to prison. So they're doing this on purpose. It's not that they're um, necessarily dumb in the idea of not organized or strategic. They're crazy like a fox, but they're dumb in the idea that this can, you know, even work and uh, produce the results that they think they're going to get. Also, I proved in that podcast, and this is stuff from their own mouths. This is not stuff that I'm just coming up with. I actually played clips that prove everything I'm telling you. But they also use witchcraft, and in one of the episodes, I think it was episode four, I played a clip of a witchcraft ceremony being conducted by one of the BLM founders in a Methodist church. They're also pushing critical race theory. I did a four-part series on that uh, after my series on BLM. Might have been a couple down the road because I had to do a lot of research. Now, from the start, big corporations adopted them with their money and messaging. And even Disney, uh, as uh, as far as a few days ago, this report came out, they've created a cartoon for toddlers to deal with white microaggressions. Okay? Now, these are toddlers. Toddlers don't see race. They see playmates. Now, at a certain age, they do begin to see race. I remember my son was probably about four or five when he started noticing some people look different from him. And I was able to introduce the idea of race and ethnicities that God's created. But uh, you also have where churches adopted their message and they began to preach, uh, you know, inherent racism in white people and white fragility and all of that crap. And then, you know, I mean, it just goes on and on how fast and how quick America and churches and corporations, government, etc., adopted BLM and critical race theory. But it really wasn't quick, guys. This has been a generational eroding of morals, a generational eroding of our school systems, and a gener- generational er- uh, eroding of our government and how they see things. And so there's never overnight successes. There's always the groundwork. So I knew eventually the demonic and fraudulent foundation of BLM would be exposed. And quite frankly, I hope every church, person, corporation, etc. is embarrassed if they supported BLM and thinks twice before turning people against each other and adopting things that are harmful to this country uh, and also anti-scriptural because the Bible is plain that in Christ there are no ethnicities. He, he sees way beyond skin color. and uh, But I'm not going to hold my breath in. Uh, people be embarrassed. So here's the latest. Okay, so I see the news report. And I'm like, okay, I, I need to dive into this because I've wanted to for a long time. How much money did they rake in? That was the first question. And then where is it all going? So last year, Patrice Coolers, I think is how you say her name. I don't know, Coolers, something like that. We'll just say PC. She's one of the original founders. And reports came out that she's buying fancy million dollar plus homes which, again, was a lot of hypocrisy considering they want to bring in socialism, which, by the way, socialism is actually another form of capitalism because capitalism requires capital, resources, money, people. So does socialism. It's just a different form of capitalism. And so, you know, it's not about helping others. It's about power and money for these people. So toward the end of January 2022, the Washington Examiner, and I have all these links in my show notes, investigated BLM's handling of donations 
and they shockingly discovered that BLM, quote, has no known leader in charge of its millions since its co-founder resigned in May, so that was Patrice, and that the Los Angeles address it lists on its tax forms is wrong. So the amount of donations that they're referring to and reporting on is $60 million. So on January 31st, 2022, the California Department of Justice, now this is California, they're about as left and crazy as you can get when it comes to their politics, later followed by Washington State, another crazy place, uh, not the people necessarily, although I'm sure you have crazies like every state, but I just mean the politics. They wrote a letter to Black Lives Matter Global Network Foundation, Inc. So that's the parent network, the parent organization for BLM. And then they have a bunch of grassroots. And they demanded information on the $60 million dollars. And they warned the board that if you do not produce information on how this money is being used, where is it at, and who is in charge, that we're going to hold you personally liable. So a lot of people don't know when you serve on the board of an organization, you can be held liable uh, if you don't comply with things like this. And they have 60 days. So that was January 31st. They also pointed out in the letter, which you can see um, at the Washington Examiner's website, that they were delinquent with the Registry of Charitable Trust because they didn't file their annual reports. So what this is, is I have a nonprofit. And so once you set your nonprofit up, you have to file yearly with your state and the IRS. Now, depending on your uh, city and county, you may have to file in those areas as well. But most of the time, you file uh, an annual report with your state, and then you file a 990 or a 990N, I believe is what it's called with the IRS. The only difference is that with the 990N, it is simply for those that have a smaller income, but the 990 is a longer form. So you have to give more details on how the finances are being used. You also by law, have to have a board that oversees the finances. Now, I've talked about the fact that if you're a church, you don't even need to have a 501c3, and quite frankly, I wish I would have known before I formed ours. However, the purpose of a nonprofit board is not necessarily to further um, the nonprofit itself, but to make sure the finances are being used appropriately and toward the nonprofit's mission. And so that's the purpose of the board. It's not... Uh, to line their pockets, okay? Like you can't get paid on a nonprofit to just be on the board. Now you can get paid if you're running the nonprofit as the executive director or even the president because you're doing the day-to-day operations. So there's just some strict things. You have to put these things in your bylaws that lays out how the finances will be um, ran, any debt, et cetera, et cetera. They also told them that they're prohibited from soliciting, quote, soliciting or dispersing charitable funds in California until it submits its 2020 Form uh, 990 and other financial records to the state. So they have to get those filings up to date. Um, now, you again, you can read the letter at the Washington Examiner post I have in the show notes. Weeks before, so this is even before California, Washington State ordered BLM to, quote, immediately cease fundraising due to their lack of financial transparency, but they've continued to do so since then. So as of February 2021, BLM closed out 2020 with $20 million, but the total donations they're able to assess so far was actually $90 million. So it appears that $30 million was distributed to partner organizations 
And then that's where the $60 million number is coming from. Like what's going on with that money? Operating expenses are at an estimate of $8.4 million. So that includes staffing, operating, admin costs, along with civil engagement, uh, rapid response, and crisis intervention activities. Um, my take on the crisis intervention would be um, burning down cities, but whatever. So no telling what they've gotten in as far as donations since then. And so in spite of the Washington warning, again, they're taking in donations, and so they could face $2,000 uh, per uh, in every in-state donation they receive before they per- provide the necessary records Washington is demanding, which, I mean, that could add up, but probably wouldn't put too much of a dent in their $60 million uh, surplus. So we also know that 10% of the donations that are coming in, I don't know if this is just Washington State or across the board are actually recurring donations. So it's like our donations to Tunnel to Towers or St. Jude, we just have it automatically done each month. So 10% of those are um, coming into uh, BLM. And there's also like civil penalties and injunctions that occur. So the lack of transparency in its finances and operations should be major legal and ethical red flags. So Patrice appointed before she stepped down because she basically is buying up all these homes um, and there's all kinds of conflict around it. She appointed two activists, Makani Thimba and Monifa Bandel, to lead BLM after she stepped down. Come to find out her replacements never took the job because of disagreements inside BLM, which was the purchase of a house in Canada, which we'll get into. So Charity Watch, it's a great organization. I'll give you some action steps with that uh, at the end of this episode. Their executive director, Lori Styron, previously said BLM was, quote, like a giant ghost ship full of treasure drifting in the night with no captain, no discernible crew, and no clear direction. Because according to IRS uh, policy, you have to have a board. You, and you have to have so many numbers. And you have to have so many meet at one time to have a quorum. I mean, it's, it's very plain. So they don't have any of that. They're also out of compliance. And so far, I've been able to to learn Connecticut, Maine, Maryland, Indiana, New Jersey, North Carolina, and Virginia. So their ability to receive donations have been revoked in all of these states. Then you take it to the local BLM activists, and they've said that the parent organization that I um, gave you the name earlier, that they haven't given them any money like they said. So in uh, one, uh, there's a quote, since the establishment of BLMGN, our chapters have consistently raised concerns about financial transparency, decision-making, and accountability. So that was a coalition that said that in a joint statement in November of 2020. Despite years of effort, no acceptable internal process of accountability has ever been produced by BLMGN, and these recent events have undermined the efforts of chapters seeking to democratize its processes and resources. So basically more and more is coming out that this is a jacked up organization. Now, Patrice is tied to quote several other fundraising organizations whose finances raise potential red flags. She's been on a personal real real estate buying spree totaling uh, three to four properties at $3.2 million. Now the discrepancy between the number of properties is there's one that we're not sure that she bought uh, there's indications she did, but we're not um, positive. So that's why we'll, we'll say three to four. We do know for, for a fact she bought three. Uh, I believe two in LA and one in Georgia. 
Um, there, and I want to be very clear, there's not any indication that she used BLM funds for those properties. Like, I don't care if she buys 50 houses. Um, just don't be a hypocrite talking about white people and their their wealth and oppressing, you know, black man, black woman, you know, and all that crap that they say, and yet you're going around buying all these houses, you know, and, and profiting off of uh, pain and, and crisis. So I, I don't, you know, that's where I have a problem with it. Uh, if it wasn't for their attitude toward other people buying property, I probably wouldn't care. Uh, but I do want to say there's no indication she used BLM funds for these. Uh, obviously, she was paid to be the president, but she's also had two book deals, a YouTube contract, I believe. And then she's working with Warner Brothers for dramas, comedies, docuseries, and animated programming for children, young adults, and families. That way she can brainwash others in America and um, let everybody know how racist white folks are. But if it comes out that BLM funds were used, I wouldn't be surprised because, again, any organization that is quite frankly anti-God and demonic, there's going to be corruption. It's just a natural uh, thing. But I want to be very clear. There is no evidence that she used BLM funds to purchase her three to four houses. Uh, but if it does come out, then, um, you know, we'll, we'll find out. Now, it's been uncovered that, quote, BLM and other activist organizations under uh, Patrice Coulors, or how you say it, uh, Control offered contracts to an art company led by the father of her only child. We know that BLM funds were transferred to a Canadian nonprofit, M4BJ, run by her quote unquote wife, and they've been used to purchase a $6.3 million uh, quote sprawling mansion that had once served as a headquarters of the Communist Party. So this was in July of 2021. So her wife, I believe, is over there in Canada. She runs that nonprofit, and so they did transfer the BLM funds to purchase that sprawling mansion, and that is what the two activists that she was going to put in control were mad about. And uh, again, all these uh, are in my show notes. So uh, Shalomai Bowers and Raymond Howard were the two remaining uh, on the board post uh, Patricia's, uh, Patrice's uh, stepping down. And Bowers served as a treasurer of not only BLM, but several activist organizations ran by Patrice, including BLM PAC and then the L.A.-based jail reform group, which is why criminals are getting out to murder other people, paid Patrice twenty k a month and spent nearly twenty six k on we could maybe call them loosely meetings at luxury Malibu beach resorts in 2019. Bowers refused to comment on the status of the 60 mil, and then Howard has refused to comment as well, removed any reference to his work with a, quote, international social justice organization on LinkedIn, because they can be held personal, uh, personally liable as board members. So here's the deal. Neurons that fire together, wire together. Perceived and real injustices create a perfect storm for the hashtag Black Lives Matter. That phrase sparked a movement that unfortunately, again, is ran by Marxists who hate this country and all that God stands for. But it was a perfect storm for it to take off. My question is, where are the Christian influencers who can position themselves strategically to step into injustice with truth and actual change? Now, this will require wisdom and cunning, which, by the way, cunning is not a bad word. Wisdom, one of its definition, it, definitions, is cunning. 
Uh, we need to be shrewd. One of the indictments of the Lord is the children of darkness are more shrewd than the children of light. So we need to be able to organize and be prepared for when cops sit on the neck of a black man for eight minutes instead of letting Marxists control the narrative and create uh, the summer of quote-unquote love that ended up burning buildings and a lot of the businesses of black people were included in all of that. Uh, Kyle Rittenhouse, that was a result of BLM and what all they were doing there. I mean, it just, it, it sparked this chain event. I mean, maybe that's you. Maybe you're the one that's called for that very purpose. I don't know. But we need very smart and wise Christians to step up to the plate and be prepared to enter those crises. Like in Canada, what we're speaking of, you won't see this on the news, but it's actually a Christian movement. The man who started it is a believer. People are getting baptized over there. Worship music is playing. And in spite of the false flags of Confederate flags and um, uh, Nazi flags in an attempt to smear the movement, it's not working because we learned about all of those uh, post-January 6th, so we know what they're up to. So it really is a question of, could it be me? Is this the time? Should I... Ask Holy Spirit for a plan and strategy on how to step in in an effective way that gains national attention and captures the narrative to such a degree that anyone who tries to lie or smear it is embarrassed. So the action steps for today is, number one, use uh, Charity Watch or uh, other Charity Watchdog groups to make sure the charity you're wanting to give to is, number one, the right one, and number two, above board. You can use those watchdog services to see where funds are going, and they rate um, the uh, charity. So, for example, I wanted to begin giving to St. Jude and Tunnel to Towers, but I first wanted to make sure they had a good rating, and I wanted to know what percentage of income actually went into the people they're trying to help or their programs, like you know, providing homes uh, to disabled vets and to widows or widowers of people that have been killed in the line of duty, whether they are first responder or military. And so most charities, only 30% of their income actually goes to their mission, which is ridiculous. Even our our, um, nonprofit, The Hub, we operate on very small amount of overhead expenses. So the majority of our money, and I'd have to figure out the expenses or the percentages, goes to um, our mission. And uh, so... These are important things to look so you can check in the rating. And I found out with Tunnel to Towers and St. Jude, both of them were like 95 plus percent. And uh, uh, so I knew they were careful with their funds. I knew they keep admin and salary costs in check and their heart matches their use of money. And then as always, go to the hubapostolictraining.com and download the Take Action Save America resource. Um, I'm getting some other ideas. I'll probably update that with. Um, And then also, I included in the show notes, I didn't have time to get into this uh, today, but there is a link to a U.S. News uh, report on a Sean King, who has been a major player in raising money for Black Lives. Not Black Lives Matter, but Black Lives in general. It's an interesting read, and it shows once again that when people get a hold of your money in uh, in a nonprofit, they can sometimes just decide to do whatever they want to do. And so there's a lot of speculation there. The The way I look at money in our nonprofit is it is not mine. It's God's. And people entrust that to us 
to steward it well and on the vision and the mission that we have, or they wouldn't have given it to us. But that is inner inner integrity. So a lot of nonprofits, you know, people that don't even know Jesus are running them or people that know Jesus but have no integrity are running them. And that's where the scandal, that's where the money being skimmed and lining people's pockets and making them rich comes in. So it's a very interesting read. I'd suggest that you do it or read it. And then um, I want to uh, recommend, I know it sounds weird and you may get offended, but if I was scared of people getting offended, I wouldn't have this podcast. The Search for God and Guinness um, is uh, by Stephen Mansfield is an absolutely fabulous book. It has nothing to do with what we've talked about today, but I was thinking, what is something that's unusual that I can recommend to them to read? And you've got to get The Search for God and Guinness. It's one of the best reads Especially for those of you that are in the marketplace, you're called to the marketplace. It's one of the best reads of how God works. And and Guinness is referring to the beer company. I mean, it's just absolutely fabulous how that family and that product transformed people's lives. And they did it through God. So it's, it's a really, really good uh, read. And so I want to finish up with our good news. And I got the link so you can read this yourself. But there's a cat named Ginger. <laughs> that's been stealing hundreds of toys and presenting them to neighbors. So Kay McCall her husband were moving to a new apartment uh, last year in Fernie Hills near Brisbane, and they met a ginger cat who hopped over the fence looking for a head pat and chin scratches. And so every day this cat, you know, would go over there, but they also started noticing an accumulation of toys in their yard. And they didn't know where they were coming from until they caught him in the act. So it turned out the uh, orange visitor was bringing more than affection. He was bringing them toys. <laughs> uh, McCall says he left in their yard several odd socks, a school t-shirt, and lots of toys. He brought a beautiful little Peter Rabbit. And after a while, we just accumulated a ridiculous number. I mean, it's an entire table full. You can see the picture at the link. So they decided to post a picture of Pirate Kitty. And then it's haul in the Facebook group for locals to see if any of the toys belong to the neighbors. And indeed, dozens of people <laughs> reported that they had been visited by Pirate Kitty and they recognized some of the plundered items. And he instantly became a local icon. Eventually, they tracked down the cat's loving owners and they established that no, it wasn't a vagabond. It had a home nearby, but they couldn't keep him from wandering off. So they asked the McCalls if they were able to help him find a new home since it was impossible to ensure his safety. And so a local resident named Ingrid Moyle, who regularly fosters stray animals, had recently lost some family members. And so she decided that a new lover in their home would be a good idea. So because Pirate Kitty didn't actually didn't respond to his actual name, Johnny, Moyle calls him Kylo after one of her fang, favorite angsty Star Wars characters. I was a Pirate Kitty fan from the very first post, and then I saw the post that Kay put up saying his previous owners couldn't keep him anymore, and she decided uh, to turn him into an indoor cat, which is really uh, easy, and he's ended his chronic thievery because he can't do it anymore. <laughs> and she said, I have a very, very large box of toys of different sizes and shapes, so I just tip the toy box on the floor downstairs, and then he just drags some toys up to the upstairs room where he presents it to his new mother. And that's actually a cat trait. They like to catch things and present them to you. Um, it's a, a sign of love. So anyway, I thought that was a great way to end. And I will see you guys in a couple of weeks. And I almost forgot. God bless America.